Previously on the Sports Talk with Devin Wade podcast. Oh, yellow. Brian song. And I'm going to say Cooley High. We have basketball seven days a week, 24 7, 365 days out of the year. And so we were kind of recruiting hard. And to be honest with you, Devin, it came down to Duke and Texas AM. A lot of people don't know that. And a lot of these guys are bad GM. Great players, but bad GM. He's the ultimate rim protector. And he's the best in the NBA at that shot blocking. It's not about tradition, it's all about money. They're saying right now. Come on now. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm going to hang up this phone on you, bro. I think it could be anywhere from zero games to eight games. You got to stand for something to fall for every damn thing. So at some point, you got to say, hey, no, enough is enough. A record in some league. Are you kidding me? What are we really doing here? And what are we, where are we going next? We believe in change and we're prepared for it with new techniques and new approaches. And as for our part, we feel that you're the best pieces of manpower available in this whole region. Let it go out there today, baby. Three. Two, one, and once again, our mighty ship is back on course. Welcome to the Sports Talk with Devin Wade podcast. Oh! Mama, there goes that man. You know, ladies and gentlemen, the star of our show. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another edition of the Sports Talk with Devin Wade podcast. So glad that you have joined us for yet another episode. And I want to send a big shout out to all of the people who are listening to us for the very first time. Welcome aboard. We hope to become a part of your podcast menu. And also, I want to send a huge shout out to all the people who listen to every episode, who are interactive, who participate in the Sports Talk with Devin Wade group on Facebook, who tweet me, who call the sports line. All of those folks, shout out to you. And finally, shout out to all of the people who have to donate a vital organ or damn near half their blood to raise enough money to pay their light bill in this awful, awful summer of 2022. I am afraid to look at my light bill. I'm just, it's, it's going to be horrible. Global warming is real, y'all. I think we've had 16 days, 17 days in a row of 100 degree weather in Houston. Maybe not in a row, but 17 over the course of the month. So it's been a really, really hot summer. And I know we in Houston, they say, oh, you're used to it. No, nah, it's hard to get used to 102, 103. It's hard to get used to that. But nonetheless, I'm cool now. Hopefully you are as well, and welcome aboard. I'm going to tell you what we have coming up for you, but first let me uh, tell you how you can become more interactive and sort of invest with your time and energy into this podcast. First and foremost, you can call us on the sports line. We set up a sports line 24 hours a day, 832-941-6614. Call and leave a message, a comment, a question, a suggestion, a request, any of those things, 832-941-6614. We frequently have a We the People segment where we hear from you guys, and that comes from our sports line. So give us a call, 832-941-6614. Also, you can join the Facebook group, the Sports Talk with Devin Wade group on Facebook. A lot of posts there every day. We post poll questions from time to time. People post about their favorite teams or their favorite athletes or breaking news. It's a great way to be a part of this community, not just by listening, but being uh, interactive. And finally, you can tweet me at Wade's Word, W-A-D-E-S-W-O-R-D. Now, coming up this episode, our guy makes his triumphant return. I'm talking about Alabama State head coach, Eddie Robinson. He was a part of this podcast for the last four or five years, and I've been knowing uh, I've been knowing Eddie for about what thirty years. 
something like that. Been knowing him a long, long time. Great friend of the show. Uh, he was a part of the special teams unit. He was the inaugural member. If he wasn't the inaugural, he was in the inaugural class of special teams unit. We'll tell you more about that as well. But excited to catch up with him. Going to go over a few headlines. And, of course, we have a Lamont Award for the big dummy of the episode. So very slow summer. Hot, slow summer, but it's ramping up as media days are happening and training camp is about to start and football is about to get rolling. Basketball is uh, continuing to make headlines. So uh, it's ramping up. Slow week. Baseball, all-star break, slow week. But we'll get through this, and then it's going to be busy, busy, busy from now on for the rest of the year. Let's get started with a few Headlines. In headlines, not a whole lot going on. Of course, Major League Baseball had their all-star game last night. Five Astros were selected. Only three were able to attend and only two played. And that was uh, those were significant contributions as Framber Valdez did pick up the win in one inning pitched. So the Astros had a winning pitcher and a winning manager, Dusty Baker, managing the American League All-Stars. Not the most exciting game. The intensity of the game is not what it used to be. And baseball's All-Star game used to be the best of all All-Star games, always better than the NBA, always better than the Pro Bowl, because these teams really never played one another unless they made it to the World Series. That was before interleague play. Now, I'm old enough to remember pre-interleague play. And so you would spend the first part of the spring and the first part of the summer thinking about, man, what would J.R. Richards do against uh, Reggie Jackson or Jim Rice or Dave Kingman um, when he was with the A's or whatever? So, I mean, just the, the matchups were important because the teams never saw one another. And they were legit bragging rights because there were different styles of play. And it was just fun to see guys that you didn't ever get a chance to see. Now, obviously, we have exposure. We can see everybody all the time. But before, you couldn't see American League teams a whole lot unless you watch the game of the week or, or for a short time Monday night baseball. Yeah, that was a thing. So, again, I'm showing my age. But nonetheless, five Astros went. Altuve could have played. Uh, but one thing that sort of irritates me is, and, and maybe it's the dog days of summer, but a lot of things are kind of pissing me off this summer, in, in this episode in particular. But Dodger fans. First of all, L.A. has some horrible fans on so many levels. Just look at the Super Bowl and the Rams. They don't care. And I don't know, Laker fans, they come and go. You hear them when they're winning. You hear from the Dodger fans when they're winning. But when they're not, crickets. Oh, we, we can go surfing. There are other interests. It's Hollywood. We have other things to do. We don't have to, to worry about our sports teams. But all of a sudden, since 2017, and understandably, because we – kick that ass not we but the Astros kick that ass in the World Series they just hate on the Astros the two markets that hate the most it's probably three but I'll say number one is probably Yankees fan or Dodgers fan I mean it's a toss-up for who hates the Astros the most um, but so it, it makes the stuff like the All-Star game not so pleasant when it's in that city for the Astros. Altuve could have gone. He was hurt. He got hit in the leg. Boy, he took one. He DH'd one game. He was out of game. But he could have played. But he didn't go. Jordan Alvarez banged up. Hand issues. He should be okay soon. Verlander went. Justin Verlander, who is the leader in wins in the American League. Favorite for the Cy Young. 
at least in my opinion. Let's see if he can match what he did in the first half coming off of Tommy John surgery. But he didn't pitch because he pitched on Saturday. But the guy who did pitch won the game. Framber Valdez pitched an inning and picked up the win. And also Dusty Baker, the manager of the American League All-Stars, he picks up a win. So that's fun. I mean, it's an exhibition game. And so, like I said, it is what it is. The important thing is the Astros have a couple guys that should be back. I don't know when, what the timetables are for their return, but Alvarez will be back. Michael Brantley at some point will be back. In addition to that, Lance McCullers is coming back to that rotation. Or not. I don't know what they're going to do with the rotation. Right now, six-man rotation with the return of Jake Odorizzi. But when McCullers comes back, if he's able to and he's effective, who does uh, he move out of the rotation? It'll probably be Odorizzi or Christian Javier, but Christian Javier had a stretch where he was super, super hot. So I know that's a lot more Astros talk than a lot of people are used to or in the mood for. But, hey, uh, just like on KTSU Sports Talk on Saturdays, we've been talking a lot more baseball and a lot more Astros. There's some guys that you really need to check out, and the second half of the Major League Baseball season should be a whole lot of fun. Another thing that stood out to me is we are coming upon the end of an era for several all-time greats in various sports. And one of those was Tiger Woods at the British Open. He did not make the cut, so he finished up last Friday. But the thing about it is it was significant in that it may be his last British Open, maybe his last major. I don't think so. I think he'll play the Masters, but we don't know. You can see clearly he's towards the end. He can't move very well after that horrific traffic accident. He's hobbled. He's in pain. He's battling just to walk the course. So the end is near. But also think about this. The end is near for Tiger, for Serena. Venus more or less is just about out of the door, but she's playing a couple of events. But they're on the downside. Serena's just about done possibly she lost in the first round of Wimbledon so that's kind of tough Brady we only have a year or two left with him so these are all-time greats if you want to talk about men's tennis Federer Nadal towards the end only Federer probably almost done maybe another year so uh, all of these greats are ending their careers and it got me to thinking and you guys can hit me up on the sports line and give me your thoughts on this what athlete did you watch that you really really miss like, like you, you maybe you did appreciate them in the time at the time, but you still really, really miss them. And for me, there are a couple that stand out. Akeem Olajuwon, to see what he did every night, it, it was so easy to take for granted. Eighty-two games a year plus the playoffs, and he did it all the time. It, it was just no night, no nights off. I mean, obviously he had injuries like anybody else, but he just didn't take a night off. He didn't. He didn't not show up and, and score double digits and and have double digit rebounds. He he, just, he was there every night, and I just missed that dude and, and that talent and just watching him do his thing. Another, I mean, for a lot of boxers, man, just Evander Holyfield, guys like that, Sugar Ray Leonard, guys that would just you just really wish you could see. I mean, and obviously I can go back and look at the videos, but man. That was really an enjoyable time when boxing was relevant in the United States and in the world. I mean, where the heavyweight champ was one of the most popular people in the world. I miss that. And I miss uh, the sport of boxing. But what great athlete from yesteryear or whatever do you miss? 
Give us a call on that, 832-941-6614. The other thing that Tiger did do that's kind of irritating to me is he commented on the Live Golf Tour. So if you don't know, and a lot of folks don't pay a lot of attention to golf, the Live Golf Tour is an alternative to the PGA. So the PGA is like the NFL, and the Live Golf Tour is like the USFL except it's funded by the Saudi Arabian government. And a lot of people feel like, oh, if you deal with them, you're dealing with the devil because they're, uh, of their atrocious human rights records and, and all of that kind of stuff. So a lot of stuff behind that. And so, you know, a lot of the, the old school golfers resent the new guys that are going to make huge guaranteed money. You get, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars in some cases just to show up. You get guaranteed. If you in a tournament, you you automatically get paid. You only play 54 holes. And the PGA is really in an uproar. And guys like Rory McIlroy, who blew his chance to win the British Open, he's been an outspoken opponent of live golf. And so is Tiger Woods. He says these guys are turning their back on the PGA. Now, Tiger Woods has only made like a billion dollars in his career. So why are you commenting on how other guys make their money and where they make their money? Come on, man. You, you got to learn the code. I mean, we see a, the NFL guys, NBA guys do a great job of not commenting on other people's money or what they choose to do with their careers. Tiger is out of line. You broke the code, bro. You don't comment on how other guys go make their money. You've made yours. You're at the top of a mountain of money. If you have younger guys that are looking at $50 million guaranteed or with Mickelson, $100 million, Dustin Johnson, those guys making huge money just to play. How are you going to tell somebody to not take that money? So anyway, that has irked me, but that doesn't take away from my respect and my appreciation for Tiger Woods. I'm going to miss him. I already miss him being who he was as a golfer, but I'm going to miss him and Serena. going to miss these, uh, these players, these athletes, once they say goodbye, Tom Brady, another one. I don't, I won't miss him so much personally, but you know, we thought we would miss him, but he came back what two days later, whatever. So, gonna take a brief time out. Come back on the other side. We still have a conversation with our guy Eddie Robinson because I know that's what a lot of folks tuned in for. That's coming up, and we have a Lamont Award. This is the Sports Talk with Devin Wade podcast. Anywhere you get your podcast. <laughs> For more content, go to WaveWordProductions.com. Your children are the most precious gift God has given you. Their well-being is of the utmost importance, and finding childcare that exhibits the same belief is, well, non-negotiable. So why not end your search at Brighter Brains Learning Center? Located in Stafford, Texas, Brighter Brains is a licensed, family-owned and operated daycare that promotes an early educational foundation and provides an environment of love, safety, and quality care for children ages six weeks to five years old. For more information, call 346-328-3717 or visit brighterbrainslearningcenter.org. It's Shelly Wade, and welcome back to Sports Talk with Devin Wade. Welcome back. As 
I said, a lot of stuff coming up, including training camps, SWAC Media Day, all of that good stuff. A lot of exciting things are starting to happen, and we look forward to a lot of that. So while this is kind of the dog days, these are the dog days of summer, not a lot to get into. We will have a lot of content. I have had a couple of very entertaining and informative conversations with a couple of people who are very important on the landscape of sports those are coming up in a number of episodes so over the next couple of episodes then of course we'll hear from our guys from the special teams unit reggie brown former nfl wide receiver swag guy also uh, terrence harris of the Defender Network, journalist extraordinaire. So uh, we'll be hearing from those guys. Maybe Daniel Ewing gets some uh, his take on some NBA stuff as well. So a lot going on. The ESPYs are tonight. Now, initially, I thought this was just, I really was not a big fan. But I think it's a good thing to have all the athletes in one place, and it's sort of fun for them. I mean, I'm not super excited about it. And I don't think that ultimately, if you uh, are playing in the NBA, you're not thinking about winning the ESPY. You're thinking about winning an NBA championship, and you're thinking about winning the uh, MVP of some sort or making all NBA. You don't really worry about an ESPY. So it's kind of crazy to me that they give out awards for, like, the best team, whatever. I mean, but it's fun, and they get to dress up, and uh, Steph Curry will be hosting, so... There's that. Another thing that we here in Houston and folks all over the country are keeping an eye out on is uh, Brittany Griner's return to the United States. Obviously, she pled guilty and is still working its way through the Russian court system at a very, very slow pace. But it brings up something that happens over the summer. You see, uh, at least get into trouble. We saw a uh, Texan and wide receiver go to jail last night. A Texan, a Houston Texan, uh, was arrested. An NBA player, Miles Bridges, arrested. So you see, see guys get into trouble, and you see and hear guys say really stupid things. And among those, and not the least of which, were comments from LeBron James about Brittany Griner. Now, this is from a Sports Illustrated article, and it reads, quote, A day after making comments in defense of detained WNBA star Brittany Griner, LeBron James backtracked and clarified his feelings. James said Griner, who was detained in Russia for entering Russia for cannabis possession, should consider not returning to the United States because of the lack of government support. James said Griner, who is detained in Russia for entering Russia for cannabis possession, should consider not returning to the United States because of the lack of government support. Over 110 days. Now, how could she feel like America has her back? James said on his show, The Shop, quote, I would be feeling like, do I even want to go back to America? End quote. Now, of course, he later clarified those statements. But what? <laughs> like, what? <laughs> What are you talking about? So you think that if you were locked up in Russia, you wouldn't want to come back because the United States government didn't work fast enough to get you back? This is where you should just let other people do the talking. This is where your hundreds of millions, your billions of dollars won't help you. This is where the, your legacy is a tremendous basketball player and uh, philanthropist. It, it doesn't come into play because clearly you're not understanding international diplomacy in this situation. And I've said this several times and people don't understand. Some people don't get it and some people just don't know that. You can say whatever you want, you can lobby, you can negotiate, but at the end of the day, Vladimir Putin and Russia are at war. They've invaded Ukraine, 
And the United States is providing billions with a B, billions of dollars in military aid to fight Russia. So what is the incentive for Russia to release Brittany Griner when you're essentially in a proxy war with the United States? So think about this. I'm fighting you and your homeboy is giving you some brass knuckles. I don't know. Giving you something to fight me. And then I have something that belongs to that guy. You think I'm going to want to help that guy who's helping you fight me? So, again, it's a very complicated situation. I have no doubt that people in the State Department want her back. I have no doubt that the people in the United States government want her back. And obviously we, the fans and and fellow Houstonians, want her back. But this is not a situation where you could just, because you don't see what's going on, you think nothing is going on. You just don't understand back-channel negotiations. And for the longest, the State Department said, hey, We don't want to publicize this. Let us work our magic and try to get her back. Now, she's going through the process. The case is winding itself through the court system. And I think, ultimately, there'll be some sort of exchange. I don't know how long that is and how long that'll take. But, boy, she's already been in jail. It's like six, seven months. That's a long time to be in a Russian jail. And I can guarantee you one damn thing. She will not wait to get back to America. I guarantee you she will probably kiss the ground then when she lands back on United States soil. So there's that. But, you know, that's LeBron doing LeBron. So going to take one more time out, come back with our guy, Eddie Robinson. Hadn't heard from him in a while, and we talked a long time about his new position as head coach of the Alabama State Hornets. This is the Sports Talk with Devin Wade podcast. Anyway, you get your podcast. Sports Talk with Devin Wade wants to thank our sponsor, Kofi Bankus and CoBank Homes. The vision at CoBank Homes is simple, and it stems from the belief that clients can trust CoBank to guide them to realize one of, if not the single largest investment decision they will ever make, their home. CoBank simply looks to build lifelong relationships through service. They do this by using faith, knowledge, and technology to guide clients through the process of achieving their real estate goals. Be it buying, selling, or investing in real estate, contact Kofi at 832-757-7950. That's 832-757-7950. CoBank Homes through Keller Williams. you have music you want heard on the podcast just email us music at wadeswordproductions.com that's music at wadeswordproductions.com we'll play a snippet at the halfway point 
and an entire track at the end or an extended portion of a mix. So if you're a DJ out there and you want your mix heard, if you are a fledgling artist and uh, you have folks in your family or friends that are in groups and you want their music exposed to the thousands of folks who come into contact with this podcast, just email us, musicwaysworldproductions.com. Happy to share that music. The genre doesn't matter. We want it to be a sort of radio edit. We had to clean it up a little bit. But that being said, DJ Anarchy from Virginia, but he's here in H-Town doing his thing. And you can definitely check him out on Instagram and SoundCloud. So that's our guy. But you can be uh, our guy, at least for an episode, if you email us, music at waysworldproductions.com. Well, it's time to get into our conversation with Eddie Robinson. But before we do that, you know, it's been a wonderful off-season for me personally, because guys that I know and root for have really gotten ahead and advanced in their careers. And I'm talking about uh, two guys in particular in the SWAC. And I'm talking about Eddie Robinson, of course, who has been tremendously supportive of me throughout his career. When he played with the Oilers, he was always, you know, he would always make time to, to converse and let me get the, th- the things that I needed for my job as a writer at the time. Even before I was on radio, I, I needed quotes and I needed quotes to write articles. And he was always forthcoming and easy to talk to, and no matter what the situation was. To If I needed a quote, I knew there were a couple guys on the team I could always go to. He was one of those guys. And also Reggie Brown, who was on that team early on. We were young guys and we were both kind of starting out. And we sort of supported each other in one way or another. Uh, another guy and a guy I really lobbied for for a long time is Bubba McDowell at Prairie View. So now you, I have two guys that, that I've been known for 30 years that are now head coaches in the SWAC over this offseason. So that's a whole lot of fun. But, boy, I cannot thank neither Bubba or Eddie enough. Because, like I said, Eddie would – come to the radio station he really came aboard the podcast when i'm still learning and kind of figuring this thing out he was all in and i certainly appreciate that and uh it's always great to have a conversation with him we still have the lamont award coming up but first here's our conversation with our guy head coach of the alabama state hornets eddie Roberts. As promised, our guy making his triumphant return to the podcast after nine months. I'm talking about Alabama State head coach Eddie Robinson. And before I, I let you speak, Ed, I want to say this. I know that your inclination is to give me and the podcast credit for your success, but it was all you, man. So congratulations <laughs> on getting the gig. I don't want any credit for this job. Nah, man, it, it's good. I'm I'm sure you took enough credit on your own. So, hey, you know, but it's, it's truly been a blessing. And I don't think it's been nine months. I know time goes by fast, but come on, man. That's, it, it hasn't been a full nine months. Come not on, not quite. Almost, it's, it's getting there. I think we're at eight months just about. Because uh, oddly enough, I talked to you probably two days before you were hired. And what could have been the scoop of the year for your boy, I had no <laughs> clue that you were going to get the gig. Yeah, um... Well, you know, it was a lot of things that had to fall in place. And so I'm I'm one of those guys. I'm a, I'm a always error on the side of discretion. And so, uh, you know, I, I felt like when the time was right, everybody would know. So uh, it, it, it kind of came out and everything's kind of falling in place. 
Um, definitely a lot of hard work, but uh, very, very rewarding and uh, don't have any regrets so far. But, you know, hey, I'm still undefeated at this point. So I, I guess ask me in mid-October and I'll let you know how I really feel, right? <laughs> right. Well, you know, I know you because I've known you forever and ever. And, of course, I know you through our conversations over the last four or five years on the podcast. But I did have to do some research. So I looked you up and I learned things about your resume and all of the things that you've done and all the stuff that you have going on. The one glaring omission is why on your bio page on Alabama State's website, no mention of the podcast. I mean, I can't get a mention. You know what? We, hey, man, you, hey, that's that's on me, and, and I'm I'm gonna fire that guy who didn't put it on there. I'm, I'm gonna get on him. You know, what I'm, saying? I'm, I'm gonna have to let that guy get out of here. But now nah, we we definitely need to update that, and because uh, I think, uh, yeah, I think they have my ESPN stuff. You know, yeah, my, it did my uh, swacking swack. What was it? Swacking action uh, inside swack. Yeah, my inside swack show that I I did with my guy D up in Birmingham. That was on there. But you're right. Yeah, I'm. I'm gonna look. I'm on top of that. I yeah. got you. Well, like I said, uh, all jokes aside, man, I am extremely happy for you. And I know with your relationship to your university, even in our conversations, you have always been plugged in. You were always available for your university as it pertains to whatever they needed athletically, I'm sure. But you also had relationships with the administration. So you really have cared about your university in a very active way. Talk a little bit about your relationship with your university. I mean, yeah, what I've what I've been doing now, we call it the coaches caravan and just going from, you know, Mobile. We'll be in Birmingham on Thursday after the Swag Media Day, went up to DC and Atlanta and Dothan and you know, my biggest thing to the alumni, you know, so many people, including myself, that would say if not for Alabama State, then where would I be? And I and I think, you know, what we wanna do is plant that tree, you know, put that seed in the ground so we can give back and so that next generation of kids can have the same opportunity that we had. Because there was a lot of people who gave up a whole lot and struggled, you know, for me to have my success. You know, I, I tell people, you know, one thing about living in Texas, you pick up some old sayings. And, and one of them that I love is if you see a turtle on top of a fence post, you didn't get there by itself. You know what I'm saying? So, and, and, and I'm that turtle and on top of that fence post. So it's definitely, I've had a lot of help, coaches, a lot of people at Alabama State. Uh, professors, Dr. Ivory, Dr. Marilyn, you know, me being in the chemistry department, and all of those contributed to the person that I am today. And, and if not for Alabama State, I, I really couldn't tell you where I would be. Well, one thing about it is we've talked about through the years, off the podcast and on the podcast, a little bit about your desire to coach. And quite frankly, in our conversations, I thought you were a couple of years away because of your family and your de- development of your sons. But you had the opportunity and you seized it. What made you take the leap now? Well, it was one of those things. Um, I mean, honest with you, had it been two or three or four years earlier, with my youngest son, he'd have been in what, eighth grade or ninth grade. You know, this year he's he's going into his senior year, very mature kid. You know, he, he moves around the city like he's in college. So he's been in a testament to him. But, you know, just a very mature kid. So that made the decision a lot easier. But, you know, my big hesitation to get into coaching at the college level or professional level was just the moving from your family. And I didn't I didn't want to get into that. And, um, you know, I had three, three older sons and two were at college. And uh, I just think that the time was right, uh, if there, if ever the time could be right to, you know, you know, I've donated money to Alabama State and to HBCUs, but, you know, the most precious gift that anyone can give is their time. And so right now I'm giving my time. And that's to me, that's more valuable than any amount of money that I could donate. And that's the biggest thing is just that 
you know, when you get into coaching and, and I knew as a player, I knew what I, I knew what I put into it as a player. And, and I did a lot of coaching stuff as a player. And so to go into the coaching aspect, I knew the level of time commitment that it would take. And until you know, you have that type of time where you can you know, freely give it and, um, and not worry about what else is going on in the world. It has to be to me, hundred percent football. I know other people may say, Hey, work life balance and all that type of stuff. But football doesn't doesn't require it's, it's no balance that comes with that. It has to be football. That's that's the only thing I know. And so, um, you know, after 11 years in the NFL, I definitely needed a break. And and then at that point, I just didn't feel like I could have that work life balance when it comes to football with the amount of time you have to put into it to be successful. It's been almost eight nine months since you've taken the job. I know a number of those things you were anticipating. What are some of the things you haven't anticipated that comes with the responsibility of being a head coach in the SWAC? I, I would think the biggest thing is just the, the transfer portal recruiting. Um, you know, the the recruiting of the high school kids is one of those things that's, you know, it's pretty scripted because everything is NCAA rules and regulations. You know, you have this period to talk to them, this period not. You know, this period that you can go out on the road and visit, this period where they can come to your school. So all of that is pretty regimented. You can know what to expect. I think with the kids with the transfer portal, it, it's really one of those things that's ongoing. Like if you called me right now, Devin Wade, and said, hey, man, I got a kid that's at Wyoming, and he is a six-foot-five you know, wide receiver who runs like Randy Moss, I'd be like, hey, put him on the phone. You know what I'm saying? So it's like <laughs> you never really stop the recruiting part of it. So it, it's really, you know, from – the time the season ends, during the season, just straight through, the transfer portal just opens up because those kids are pretty much, and you know, once they go into the portal, they're just waiting for someone to talk to them. And at that point, you know, you have to make that connection and things move fast. And, you know, we we, uh, we dabbled in the transfer portal quite a bit. So I think that's the biggest thing that I didn't expect. And I think, you know, with me being a, a newer coach, I think some of the older coaches are still kind of catching up to that aspect too, that that transfer portal is something that's year-round. I talked to uh, one of your counterparts at Purview, you, your former teammate, Bubba McDowell. And one of the things he mentioned was all of the commitments that he had as a, as a part of dealing with alumni and fundraising and things like that. How has that part of the this job been for you? Well, you know, that, that part comes pretty natural because most of the people I'm talking to are former classmates or former teammates. So for me, you know, saying I, I took a job in Kansas somewhere, and I would really be you know, introducing myself and really learning the culture and the environment of, of that school. But for me, it's like, I already know that. So, you know, for me going to Alabama State, you know, I'm, I'm talking, I'm going to, you know, alumni meeting in Dothan, and it's going to be one of my former teammates there, right? You know, we have a alumni gathering, you know, tomorrow night or Thursday night after the Swag Media Day in Birmingham, but it's going to be at least a dozen or 20 so of my former classmates or just people that I know in general and so for that standpoint, um, it's almost like a reunion. Like, I'm happy to see them. They're happy to see me. We talk about old days. You know, we try to raise some funds for the university and let them in, let them be aware of the things that, that's going on in the athletic department. And so I think, yeah, that part is, is it is somewhat taxing because in the end of the day, you're a football coach. You know, you're judged by wins and losses and, and can your kids graduate on time if your APR is correct and those type of things. But it's a whole, a whole lot before you get to blow the whistle. And I think that's... That's what Bubba's talking about, and, and I totally feel the same sentiment. It's kind of like, you know, for me, it's like a relief once practice starts because it's almost like I can put my phone up, I can just focus on the, the players and the coaches and, and on football, and that's that's kind of the, 
the comfort level of what you do know. And all of the other stuff you kind of learn it on the fly. Well, you enter a, a swag that's a lot different, or is it different from when you entered the swag as a, a student athlete back in the day? Obviously, a lot more attention for the swag, but how is today's swag comparing to the swag of your youth? Well, I think it's very similar to me. I mean, uh, you know, back then it was Jackson Grambling who always sat at the top. They were probably the two dominant teams, and, and then you always had another team or two that was challenging. Maybe it was Southern Alcorn, Alabama State, Texas Southern had had their had their teams, and and so from that standpoint, uh, I feel like it's the same. I, mean, I think you have a couple teams that are that are really good at the top, but, but at the same time they can be beat. And so I, I feel like you have some teams that would, you know, people would kind of judge them to be middle of the road team but at but at any given day that they can still win so i think it's a lot of uh, a continuity and parity in the league because there's so many new players you know everybody's working everybody's gotten better and uh you know i know what i'm doing here at alabama state but i don't necessarily know what everybody else is doing but we'll find out soon enough and i think that's what makes it fun i mean you you compete and you put something together you work at a level and you hope it's enough that you can go out there and win some ball games. And if you find out it's not, then you kind of step it up to that next level and you have to keep getting better and rise to the occasion. But I feel like uh, everyone's in the conference. I think every team probably feels like I'm better than last year. And so now you have to feel like, is my better good enough or is my better better than the next guy? And, and that's what makes it so fun is that you don't really know that. You can, you can hope that and expect that and, and want that. But until you get out there and play a football game, you don't know. Well, you look at the HBCU experience right now and you see a lot of guys diving back into or, or choosing to come to HBCUs. Talking about, of course, Dion, Eddie George, Hugh Jackson, to name a few. Talk a little bit about what that brings to the SWAC and what do you think of all of these uh, folks, former NFL guys, displaying a, a huge amount of interest in coming to coach in the SWAC? Well, I mean, I, I think the conference, having grown up in the conference, you know, growing up in New Orleans, you know, been to a lot of Bayou Classics. So just being real familiar with the conference, having played in it and, and just always supported it. And I think it's great whenever you can, you know, put some high level coaches and some visibility. And uh, hopefully, you know, that translates to us getting that student athlete who can be a difference maker. You know, that that's Steve McNair who can finish fourth in the Heisman Valley. You know, that type of guy. You know, those guys are Jimmy Smith who get drafted in the second round or Aeneas Williams who can go into a Hall of Fame career. So I'm I'm hoping that we get those type of players because it's an athletic conference. So, you know, we're we're judged by wins and losses, how good the players are and, and ultimately can some of those guys get to the next level and play in the NFL. And I, I think you have those type of guys in the conference and it's just great. You know, I would I would love to get every four or five star kid, but if I can't get them, then I want them to stay in the swag, and we'll play against them, of course. But you know, I just want it where where every team has that has that guy or those couple of guys who the scouts are coming to see. You know, if it's, if it's a guy that's that's that guy at Jackson State or Prairie View or Alcorn or FAMU, and we're playing against them, then hey, it gives my guys on my team a chance to get reviewed by the scouts, and and that's what we had. You know, when I was coming through the conference. Every team had somebody who was a, a, a top three or four round draft pick. And so, hey, yeah, the scout may not have been coming to watch you, but if he's coming to watch Ashley Ambrose at Mississippi Valley, then in my mind, I'm going to make him notice me also. And I think uh, if we can get the conference back to that level, then I would love it. Well, you talk about Alabama State, a program full of potential. Of course, you guys had the ultimate success when you were there. What is it going to take to get Alabama State to its fullest potential in the Southwestern Athletic Conference? 
Well, you know, my, my motto has been swarm is one. And, and I think, uh, you know, it started as just a, a, a defensive slogan that we wanted to swarm to the ball and show some intensity on defense and have great effort. And then it just, to me, it just kind of morphed and evolved into, you know, the whole university coming together, the whole community realizing that, you know, one football coach, I don't care who it is, can make things happen. You know, it really takes the whole administration and the community and everybody pulling in the same direction. I bring a kid on campus to recruit. We're all recruiting. The equipment manager, the lady at the lunchroom, bookstore, you know, we're we're all involved. And I've seen that. And I think that's what's important is that that swarm is one has to be a mentality that we're all pulling the rope and everybody's kind of getting bloody and, and getting their hands sweaty and competing and, and wanting the same thing. And, you know, my support of the basketball program or the baseball program, you know, Coach Vasquez won the SWAC title, his first SWAC championship. And so to me, I'm just as excited about the other sports doing well as I am about football doing well. And, and the fact that we're all pulling together, it just lifts the whole the whole sale of the whole university. And it just, it just helps us all. It helps us all. And so I think that's what the biggest thing is. is it's not just me. It's not just one player. It's not just one coach. It's the whole community pulling together and swarming as one. You as a player, you have an on and off switch as a player back in the day. You were a guy who didn't really seemingly take the field, your personality on the field, off the field with you. How is that different for you as a coach? Are you different as a coach than you were as a player? Well, I think I think it's a lot the same. I mean, I, I think if you, the if the guys on the team or the coaches that tell you like, hey man, you know, Coach Rob pretty laid back. He doesn't say too much. But I say, for example, at times, just just in the meeting we had today, you know, I, I had to have a little talk, and I talked with stories a lot, and, and got that from Coach Markham. And and at, at sometimes you have to use that voice inflection. You have to let the kids know that this is a moment well, we have to make a decision if we're going to get better or not as a team. And so and those moments happen throughout the season. They don't they don't happen a whole lot, but as a coach, you're always trying to identify that like, hey, this is the part in the game we have to take that next step. And so you want the kids to rise to that occasion because when you see it, you have to identify it. And, you, and, and as a team, once they learn how to do it on their own, and at that point it just automatically happens. But for right now as a coach, that's the buttons you have to push. And that's the same way on the field. I mean, you can be a cerebral player and making sure everybody does this, this, and this. But sometimes you got to be like, hey, man, get your such and such, such and such so we can win this damn game. And this is the point where we have to make this play. And I think that's what you're always trying to identify. And it's not in a panicky way. It's just in a way of, hey, let's take our game to the next level. And that's what's so fun about it is that once you see the players, you know, learning how to do that, making practice stressful and making them, you know, go through, hey, you need to have a perfect practice right here because – when this situation get replicates in the game, you have to know that I've done it before. You have something that you can fall back on and you can go into it uh, in confidence and make sure you execute. What does your SWAC experience bring to the job as a head coach? Because you're so familiar with the conference, how much does that add to your ability to be effective in this conference? Well, I think it adds a, a, a good portion from a standpoint of nostalgia and the history, but you know, of course, the, the coaches and players have all changed. The schemes have all changed since I played in the conference. But I think the standpoint of just understanding when you say, hey, the Magic City Classic, like, you don't have to explain to me what that is. I played in four of them. You know what I'm so when you talk about going to Veterans Memorial Stadium, you don't, you don't have to let me know what that experience is about. I've, I've played at Jackson State at that stadium, and I know what it's like. You know, I know what it's like to go to Grambling. 
Um, I know what it's like to play at Alcorn and Purview and those type of schools. So, you know, I understand the rivalry. I understand the importance of what football means to everyone down south. I mean, it's like a religion. You know, I, I think uh, the guys like Eddie Robb and those guys, I mean, they spoke about that. Like, when you go down south, you know, football is what it is. I mean, you you can go to any any park in Third Ward, Texas, and guys are practicing in mid-June, getting ready for August. I'm talking about the 8, 9, and 10-year-olds. And so I think, you know, football on a college campus, especially HBCU campus with the band and the excitement and everything, I mean, it, it is nothing like the atmosphere. And I know the bigger schools may have 110,000, whatever, but you, know, you give me those 50,000 in Legion Field, Imagine City Classic that last Saturday of October, and, and I promise you there's no better atmosphere in all of college football. Well, I asked Bubba this, and I'll ask you as well. You will be facing, or uh, this year and in, in the near future, you'll be facing a, either someone you played with as a football teammate or someone you played against in the NFL. How does that factor into how will you approach those games, and what would that be like? I think it's the same approach. I think I think Bubba and Dion and Eddie George, any other guy that played in the NFL or and for that matter, I played against Fred McNair when he was at Alcorn. And so, I I mean, we're not out there blocking and tackling. I mean, we're just trying to motivate our, our players to do the very best that they can and give them the very best chance to win and preparing them for the moment. So I think whoever the coach is on the other side of the field, I mean, other than scheme and knowing what type of person he is and, and uh, how that may affect his play calling or his ability to, to do something outside of the X's and O's, you know, just besides just the basic, I'm going to run this and, and just kind of knowing his personality, uh, is he an aggressive guy, that type of stuff. I mean, other than that, I don't think it really affects it. Once the game starts and it's all about the players in the arena, and we're just trying to motivate them and put them in the right situations, and hopefully we did enough at practice to prepare them that they won't come across a situation that, that they haven't seen before. And that's the that's the biggest thing as a, as a player and as a coach is that, you know, you want to have familiarity in what's going on in the game. You don't want it to be – the first time we've practiced safe punt, oh, we haven't done that enough, and now the kids don't know exactly what to do. And that's, that's the biggest fear, I think, as a coach, that you didn't prepare your team for every situation that could happen in that 60-minute ball game. Now, I know the fall practices have not even begun yet, but you've had a, a lot of time to spend uh, with these young men. What do you think this team is? How good can this team be? At this point, uh, what do you speculate? How do you do you have goals for this particular team? Yeah, I mean, I I think every goal you go out there, you're trying to win a swag championship. I I don't see, I, I don't see how you can have a goal of hey, we want to have a winning season, or we want to win eight games, or we want to compete well. To me, that's just a defeatist attitude and the mindset of a loser. I think you have to go out there every campaign and say, hey, we're trying to win a swag championship. So that's our goal. It's been our goal from day one. It's going to be our goal every year. And so now you have a, a goal and you have a championship goal. So now you have to merge that with a championship work ethic. Like you can't expect to go out there on Saturday night and say, hey, man, our goal is to win a championship. Let's turn it on. You have to turn it on every day in practice, every day that you're going to class, every day that you're going to study hall, every day that you're, you're doing your um, ice tub. You have to be a champion every day. So that's that's what we're preaching is trying to be a champion every day and give you a chance and give yourself a chance and an opportunity to be in a position to win games and then you win multiple games and then you get to the point where you can start competing and win a championship. But but that's our goal. I feel like, you know, we have the people in place. We have some talented guys coming back, you know, brought in a lot of new guys. And, and the biggest thing now is to get everybody to mesh and to, to kumbaya and come to better as, come together as a family and as a team, I've, I've been on teams where you have a lot of great individual players, but it didn't 
mature into a great team. So our biggest goal as coaches is to make sure that these individual players can come together into a great team. And, and that's really the fun part of it because it's team building and it's molding young men to give up your individual goal and put the team goal first. And, and when you can accomplish that, I mean, it's something that sticks with you. And those are friends that, that, that you have for a lifetime because you realize that everybody was unselfish and put that team goal first and it worked. And that, and that what makes it a lot of fun. Well, you're just a day or so away from the SWAC Media Day. Now, of course, you played in a Super Bowl, and you've gone, uh, you've been in front of cameras, you've been a part of a, a world class podcast for years. Now, how will this, <laughs> how will Media Day be different for you? I mean, I don't think so. I mean, I talk to my kids that I'm bringing, in, and it's really for those guys. It's it's the time. It's not it's not to showcase Eddie Robinson, the coach. To me, is trying to showcase those young men and put them on the stage and. And I went on to broadcast ESPN games and to do a, a SWAC television show. And that all started with my coach taking me to the SWAC tour. I mean, you were there. We get on the bus, go from space to space to space. And Coach Eddie Robinson would tell his jokes. And W.C. Gordon would talk. And, you know, uh, Walter Highsmith. And from, and from there, you know, I took that into, you know, being able to talk in front of the media in college and, and then going on to the NFL, and then when I retired, I went on to to start broadcasting college football games. I was a chemistry major. I didn't I didn't major in broadcast journalism, but you know through my experience with that SWAC tour, it just put me in that position. And, and you never know what you can strike up in a kid when you give him a different experience outside his norm. So to me, the biggest thing is to make sure that the players are in a comfortable environment that they enjoy the experience, that they're learning the media training. It's like anything else. The more you practice it, the better you, you get at it. And so I'm just excited for them. You know, I've kind of done it before, and, and not, not that it's not a big deal because whenever you can talk swag football and have all of the 12-member the, the schools here and everybody's pushing for one thing, and that's to get you know, our name out into the, into the ears of all of the different public. And so that's, that's going to be fun. You know, of course, you know, everybody's going to, you know, have a feeling that, that their team is good enough to win as it should be. It's nothing like the beginning of a college football season because there's so much excitement on every campus. Of course, as the season goes, some people keep that excitement and some people start to lose it. That's the nature of it. So, I mean, hopefully you're at the top end of that. So, you know, week seven, eight, nine, ten, you're just as excited. And, of course, hopefully it ends up in the championship. Well, this is your exit interview for the Sports Talk with Devin Wade podcast, essentially. I mean, obviously, we think we'll catch up with you again. But what, do you, what do you miss most about the podcast? Oh, man, you know, being the Euro sports nerd, man, even though my guy Lou hasn't been doing his thing this year, the Red Bulls are pretty fast. But, I mean, just talking F1, I, I love bringing – you know, different sports to the to the mainstream of US, of of the U.S. public, and so even talking with my friends, you know, of course, the Tour de France is going on right now, and so that's that's a big deal. I'm, I mean, I'm every morning, you know, ten o'clock to eleven thirty, I'm watching the Tour de France. You yeah, know, you just told me about a guy that was going to win, but it seems like didn't he fall behind? He, he was no longer the leader. Yeah, yeah, Tadej Pogacar, man, he was he was like way in front and. I just had a bad day. I mean, he was he was toying with everybody and, you know, kind of looking at the cameras and making faces. And all of a sudden, up that last climb, it, it was it was kind of funny, man. He was by himself and in, in, in cycling is such a team sport. And the other, the other team, they had like seven or eight guys, and they just kept attacking him and attacking him, and then he finally cracked. And so now he's two minutes down. So um, it'll be interesting to see if he can catch up. He's the two-time 
defending Tour de France winner, and everybody just assumed he would win in this one. And it's, it's one week left of racing, so it should be a lot of fun. But, I mean, that and, you know, of course, this time of year, you know, Formula One is, is on the summer hiatus. And, uh, you know, you, you have Red Bull looking really good, Ferrari. You know, they're, they're a typical Ferrari, super strong car, really fast, but it blows up every once in a while. You know what I'm saying? It's just how well, you know, it goes. And, you got me on your yeah. Lewis Hamilton, and then they robbed him at the end of last season. And then I was yeah, like, well, I'm yeah. through with Formula One. What is going on here? They robbed my man Lewis Hamilton. So, yeah. Yeah, that, I mean, it's one of those things, uh, you know, I mean, probably one of the best drivers of all time, definitely the top three to five. And so now it's, it's, it's fun because, you know, he's having to overcome adversity. So now, you know, I think Mercedes as a team and, and Lewis as a driver will be back. You know, if not for the second half of this year, it, it's really surprising because Formula One is like two different seasons. And so they're constantly developing those cars to get better, get better, get better. So it'll be interesting to see if Red Bull can keep their advantage uh, or if, you know, Ferrari can can have their reliability questions answered because they definitely have a fast car, or if Mercedes can pick up the pace. I mean, so do they I still have time? Does, does Hamilton still have time to conceivably catch Vettel? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you're talking about um, not Vettel, but Max Verstappen. So Verstappen. Yeah, I think Verstappen. I think he does. Uh, I mean, you know, a DNF is huge. If you know, you're talking about a 25 point swing. And uh, I think you just never know. It, it's definitely racing. It's, it's kind of like the end of that race. I mean, everybody assumed that the race was over and Lewis was going to win. But, I mean, Formula One is a lot like football. I was talking to one of my coaches today. It's like, you know, my job is to coach the game all the way to the very end to there's zeros on the scoreboard and we're ahead by at least one point. Now, sure, you want to win every game by 30 and, and laugh and joke on the sideline. But at the end of the day, you're trying to get out there with a one-point win. And sometimes, you know, you can score – Perfect example, Texans and the Chiefs in the playoffs. I mean, you jump up on a team 20 to 0 in the first six minutes, and everybody thinks the game is over. It's like, it's so much football left that you cannot get into that relaxed mode. And I think, you know, Formula One is the same way. You still have another, what, 10 or 11 races. It's like so many things can happen that you just never, and, and that's the beauty of sports. It's, it's a lot like life. I mean, the worst thing that can happen to you in life, to me, just like sports, is you have some success and you become complacent. You're always fighting against complacency, whether it's in the game where you start to ease up or you win the game and then you say, hey, man, we're so really good. We don't need to practice as hard this week. And then what happens? You lose to a team that you should be. And I think that's the that's the beauty of sports is that you know it mimics life. And so it, it teaches you everything. It's like if you can – if you can fight through the, the joys and the sorrows of sports, especially in the team concept, I mean, it really helps you to handle those disappointing situations in life where sometimes you may not be treated fair because in sports, sometimes you're not treated fair, but you still have to get up and get it going for the next day. And that's what I love about it. Well, I miss uh, getting after your New York Yankees, but I got Reggie Brown to deal with on that. So I, I Oh, mean- man, you know what? And it, it's so funny. So, you know, Reggie was my first roommate. I'm sure it came up. Um, when we both got to Alabama State as walk-ons, right? He came from Miami. I came from New Orleans. Who knew that we were both going to play with the Orleans together? And we were both Yankees fans. Like, that's like my guy. I'm like, man, you like the Yankees. Now, of course, he's a he's a diehard Dolphins fan, and I'm a Saints fan. But when it comes to baseball, hey, we're both watching the Yankees. I mean, I, as you know, I go to every All-Star game. And that's probably the one disappointment that I have about being the head coach of Alabama State is that I'm not at the home run derby and I'm not at the home all-star game. But I'll be there next year it's in Seattle. I'm already planning for it. But this year it was just too close to the season, too many other things going on. But I'm watching it, of course, and uh, 
you know, I think the Yankees are poised to win 28. I know Altuve and, and that little group back there with the garbage. Why, why they got to be the little group? Why they got to be the little group? But they, they, uh, not the, <laughs> Verlander is, it may be the, the Cy Young one. winner. They're stuck at one. That's why. They're stuck at one. And so until they win two, they're, they're a little gang of guys, you know, now, but I, I'm, you know, I'm a big Astros fan. I've, I've watched more Astros baseball over the last decade. Um, than I've been, than most people <laughs> care to know, but I, I think, uh, you know, it should be great. I mean, I think, uh, you know, as you know, baseball is all about playoff baseball and getting hot in October. You know, so who has the, who's going to have the hot bats in October and who's going to have that dominant pitcher or two, who can close out series and, and keep those runs down? So I mean, it should be great. I mean, I think you have a good a good transition of stars where you're going from one group of players to the next. You know, with Judge and those guys, you have that next group of four hundred million dollar players. And I'm and I told my buddy this like a couple years ago when Mike Trout was coming through. At one point, and it won't be too far from now. Remember, you heard it here first. There's going to be a billion dollar player. Sounds yeah. crazy. It's it might be, be a so, 10 year, so billion dollar contract. <laughs> it's coming. Yeah, I mean, in baseball, man, it's cra- in basketball as well. It's getting crazy. I think in, in basketball, you won't give a guy that long of a contract. But in baseball, if you have that young phenom who's done it since the age of 17, Soto. at the age of 22, yeah. you figure from 23 to 33, yeah, I'm going to get the first great seven years and maybe the last three to figure it out. But I feel like at some point it's going to be a guy that's going to get a ten-year, billion-dollar contract. I mean, wow. Soto is going to be at what four? He turned down four twenty, so yeah. we're halfway there. <laughs> right, won't take long. Well, finally, before we let you get out of here, of course, you know that a lot of folks called in. I've been hearing about it. Uh, you heard about it. We played. I, I actually made sure you heard uh, some of the phone calls. A lot of people reached out to me and, and are excited about your opportunity, but also will miss you here and have missed you here on the podcast. Anything you want to say to the folks who've listened to you over the last four or five years on this podcast? No, absolutely, man. It's, it was truly a pleasure. Um, just just talking sports is always a great thing. And, you know, Devin, you and I go back all the way probably to my uh, Alabama State days, but but definitely to my rookie year with the Oiler in 92. So what's that, you know, 30 years almost? Yeah. So, I mean, that's 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 definitely, uh, you know, a, a connection that you and I have. And, and uh, you know, it's just, it's just kind of talking sports with, with everybody else listening in. And so it's always – it's been great to talk Astros, of course, to talk to New Orleans Saints and football and uh, fantasy football and, and, of course, the the European sports, which I've kind of become fine to, uh, ironically. And, and so, uh, and so yeah, I definitely miss, you know, catching up with, with, the, with the fans and, and the segments and everything. And, and uh, you know, and I'm still here. You know, I'm not going anywhere. We have a couple bye weeks. We actually have a game where we – we come down there to the kickball stadium and play Texas Southern. So like, <laughs> oh, there it yeah, we'll, is. We'll, we'll, we'll be here. So, I mean, we'll, I'm sure we'll talk again soon. <laughs> oh, that's going to come up in the Tiger pregame show uh, for Texas Southern when I when I talk about that. So, uh, I tell you what, I'll, I'll have a couple questions on the Zoom for you on Swag Media Day possibly. But I certainly appreciate it, and I'm excited about your opportunity. And uh, like I said, I'll be rooting for you most Saturdays. Uh, obviously not that first Saturday in October, right? Is that, it's the first Saturday in October. Is that right? Yeah, the Alabama State, so. Texas. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, and, we and come if, off. Um, I think we come off a of bye week. No, we. I think. Uh, 
think it's Prairie View first, and then we come, Prairie View comes with us, and then the next week we'll go to Texas Southern. So that should be some back-to-back weeks playing the Texas teams. Usually we always play them later in the year in November, but it's kind of switched, and we play them in September this year, go figure. But, you know, it'll be great coming back to Houston and, uh, you know, and, and playing a, a college football game there. And it'll be great seeing Bubba here and, and uh, in Montgomery and, you know, guy that really helped me through my first couple of years in the NFL, you know, great teammate and, and really has paid his dues and, and hoping he has a great season. It, it, like I said, except for one weekend, I'll be rooting for him. <laughs> yeah, well, like I said, and I guess I'll be visiting with you for uh, the pregame show. Uh, but then, you know, like I said, that's a different mode. That's not – we won't get a chance to talk European sports then. But like I said, continued success. Uh, we'll be rooting for you. I'm uh, Now, Reggie and I will be talking a lot of Dolphins. I've heard so much more about Tua <laughs> Tunga Vailoa. You would think he's the second coming of Joe Namath uh, – talking to Reggie but that's my guy and again you suggested that he step in for you and he's done a great job and we enjoy visiting with him as well on the podcast these days absolutely absolutely I know you still got all-star lineup so hey just just put me on the shelf man and and hey I tell you what those Yankees make it to the World Series and I'm sure they will I know I'll be able to find time before game four or five when we're closing out somebody for a championship so (laughs) hey man we appreciate you as always To have your comments heard, call 832-941-6614. Want to thank Coach Robinson. Yeah, I have to start putting that handle on it as he leads the way for the Alabama State Hornets. And of course, me being the voice of Texas Southern football, the play by play guy for Texas Southern football, we'll see him in October. And uh, yeah, that should be a whole lot of fun. Uh, uh, did you catch that that slight that he uh, <laughs> that he put out there? The kickball stadium. He's talking about BBVA Stadium, where the Texas Southern Tigers, where we play our home games. So we'll have some some home cooking. Waiting for him and those Hornets when they come to Houston. But again, it's a wonderful thing when you think about longevity and watching guys that you kind of remember the beginning and they remember the beginning for me and they uh, have gone on to do good things. And hopefully we, uh, we're doing some great things here. So with that, it's time for the Lamont World. I don't want to wish you no bad luck. But I hope your ship sinks with no lifeboats and no life preservers and a school of piranhas surrounding you, you big dummy. The Lamont Award goes to the player, team, entity, someone in or around the world of sports we deem to be the big dummy of the episode. Well, you know what? We do not talk enough about the WNBA and women's basketball, which I think is a, a tremendous product. And I think because I, I was there at the beginning of the league and with the Comets, winning, what, four championships in a row or three three or four championships in a row to start the league. Those were some exciting games. And I talk about the WNBA being the loudest per capita environment I've ever been in. There have been two venues that have been the absolute loudest. Now, I, I've not gone everywhere, but a, I was on the field for Oilers-Kansas City Chiefs game, 68,000, 70,000 in the Astrodome. It was it was crazy. But those WNBA championships were incredible because you had everyday people coming out to support. Where the Rockets at that time, who were winning championships, and those venues were loud, there still was a, a, a sort of customer, a sort of fan that was well off, and they, they just weren't totally invested like the WNBA fans were. 
And I love the WNBA and women's basketball. I don't watch it enough and I don't support it enough. And I should. And I try to do a little bit better job of that. But they recently had their all-star game. And I know that the league is in its 25th year. They're trying to grow. They are on the right side of every social issue. They're doing their thing. They put it on the line. They are about it. They, If they support something, they are for it. Black Lives Matter, they were the first to wear the shirts and show support. This is a, a tremendous league. But they had their all-star game. And they had an MVP trophy ceremony for the MVP of the game. I don't know if you've seen this. But I have seen bigger trophies at my nephew's soccer games. This is not cool. And again, in the grand scheme of things, it's important to support the league. And it's important that we take the league serious. But you can't ask us to take the league more serious than you take the league. So again, I'm not saying that if you had the biggest trophy, if you had the biggest trophy, you probably would look crazy as well. But you have to be appropriate with it. You have to celebrate the MVP of your All-Star Weekend, and that is deserving of an ample trophy. So when you don't do that and you sell that lady short, you are really selling the league short. So if you've not seen this trophy, basically she could have held it with one hand it was really really small it was it was uncomfortable to watch it was cringe worthy to watch when you're talking about the mvp so i don't know who was on the wnba's mvp trophy committee but all of those folks who were on the trophy committee for the wnba you all are big dummies you big dummy <laughs> <laughs> Now, I know it's bad when you only mention a league when it's something bad or embarrassing. So I promise you, I will do at least a segment or a story or highlight something positive about the WNBA. Because one thing you can't deny is the level of play. They have remarkable players. The level of basketball is really, really good in that league. It's really entertaining. I think when the Comets left Houston, we here in Houston sort of disengaged. But that team was as beloved as any while they were here. And the Comets were hugely popular. You're talking about Cheryl Swoops and Cynthia Cooper and Van Chancellor, the head coach, Tina Thompson, uh, Janet Arcane, and Monica Lamb. I mean, so many uh, really wonderful players that came through. And those championships were extremely exciting. So rooting for the WNBA, and we want them to continue to do their thing. So with that, we'll wrap things up. But before I let go. Before I let go. Before I let go, hey, want to thank you guys for tuning in. Want to remind you guys, we will have a lot more football stuff coming up. Our guys from the special teams unit will be on the next episode. We have some great interviews coming up already in the can, waiting to be heard by you guys. So a lot of fun stuff coming up. Please give us a call on the sports line, 832-941-6614, 832-941-6614. Hit us up on Facebook, the Sports Talk with Devin Wade group or fan page. Check that out. Join that. Be a part of that. And, of course, hit me up on Twitter at Wade's Word. And if you can't remember any of those things, please remember these four things. Number one, I don't do no favors after 6 o'clock in the evening. Two, I ain't got no money. Three, I'm not harboring any fugitives from justice. And four, bye. (laughs) This has been the Sports Talk with Devin Wade podcast. Remember... 
You can follow him on Twitter at Wade's Word. Thank you for listening.